0: Now, up to this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has been a free man. He was free to move around wherever, whenever he wanted. He was free to speak his message. I am the eternal Son of God who has come to this world to give life. But we have to ask the question, what happens when Jesus is no longer a free man? What happens when Jesus starts facing social pressure, pressure from the higher-ups, What happens when people are plotting and scheming against him because they oppose the very things that he is claiming? And what happens when Jesus is put on trial, put on trial for his very life? You know, they say that a person's true colors come out when he or she is facing pressure, or when he or she feels threatened, or when he or she is intoxicated, right? Uh, In Latin, they say in in vino veritas, right? In wine, there's truth. You know, most people can make a five-feet putt, but to do it on the last day of a majors tournament, on the back nine with the sun setting, the wind slightly blowing, the crowd roaring, the TV cameras in your face, when there's so much riding on that five-feet putt, to make it under that pressure-packed situation. Now, that's something else. Now, all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been clear about who he is and why he has come. But in this moment of vulnerability, as he stands on trial for his very life, how does Jesus respond? Once again, as we have seen all throughout John, in this moment, when he is pressured, Jesus, his true self, shines through even more. You know, usually when we think of Jesus, right, when you picture Jesus in your mind, what do you see? You probably picture Jesus somewhere up in the hills teaching the masses or feeding thousands. Or you might see Jesus uh, performing miracles among the sick. Or you might see Jesus with the disciples, maybe on his knees washing their feet. Or even Jesus on the cross bearing the sins of the world. But today, this morning, I want to reflect on this moment when Jesus is being examined and being ripped to to shreds by the rulers of the world. I want to peer through this window and see once again who Jesus is. because I think this picture of Jesus is a really accurate picture and a picture that we sometimes miss. So what is the portrait of Jesus that we have in John 18 and 19, as he stands trial. Well, first, let's just consider some of the things that are going on at this time. John 18 opens up, the scene opens up with Jesus being betrayed by one of his disciples. You know, betrayal, even among friends, is something devastating and really hard to recover from. But here, Judas, he doesn't betray a friend. He betrays his Lord. He betrays his master and he sells them off for 30 pieces of silver. That's about $500. You know, even in today's materialistic society, which I think all of us would confess we live in a materialistic world, $500 is a very small sum to betray a friend. To lose and to betray, to hand over a friend for $500 is is quite small. You know, do you know why the Jewish rulers and, and Judas, they agreed that, that this 30 pieces of silver would be the right sum? According to Jewish law, 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. That's the agreed upon price of a slave. So let's say, you know, one day your slave was walking outside and uh, there was a, a bull, and, and this bull just rams into the slave and he kills the slave. The owner of the bull has to pay 30 pieces of silver for that slave. That's the price of a slave. Jesus is betrayed by his disciple for the price of a slave. Now this betrayal leads to Jesus' arrest. A band of soldiers, as we see here, come with lanterns and torches and weapons to arrest Jesus. I mean, Jesus has not once in his life wielded a sword. He has never once threatened with physical harm, but they come and they arrest him, and they parade him around town like a criminal in chains. And then Jesus is brought before the high priest, and he is put on trial. You think about it, Jesus, the eternal high priest, is being interrogated by a corrupt and compromised earthly high priest. And the priest starts to ask him all of these questions, questions that Jesus has answered plainly all along. Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? Jesus has been answering these questions all throughout his earthly ministry. And when Jesus responds, I've told you. Nothing I've done was in secret. When Jesus doesn't back down, one of the officers standing nearby strikes Jesus in the face. And he says is this how you answer a high priest? I mean, how ironic. The eternal high priest being questioned by this earthly, corrupt, compromised high priest. What happens afterwards? Well, we find Peter, one of Jesus' close disciples. One of, one of Jesus' close disciples, Peter, he denies Jesus. You know, it was just a few hours ago that Peter, during the Last Supper, Peter said, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus, I will die for you. But when Peter is asked by this servant girl, whose only job is to open doors so that people can come in, when this young servant girl asks, wait, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter, he shudders and he cowers, and in fear he says, I don't know the man. I don't know him. Then Jesus is brought before Pilate, the Roman governor. You know, history tells us that Pilate was a coward. Pilate was a very vindictive man with a furious temper. And now picture this scene of Jesus before Pilate, the prince of peace, Jesus in shackles before this petty man that they call Governor. The king of the universe has his head bowed before an imposter king, before a puppet king. Yet Jesus answers all of his questions. He does not back down. He speaks plainly. My kingdom is not of this world. For this purpose, I have come into this world. For this purpose, I have come to bear truth, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. At this point, Pilate he he reasons, this man is not a threat. This man is no political threat. This man might be insane, but he is no threat to the Roman Empire. And Pilate tries to release Jesus. But the crowds. And the Jewish leaders insist: no, Jesus is guilty. And they play on his cowardice. They say, if you release him, you're not a friend of Caesar. And so Pilate, out of fear that a riot is going to break out, out of fear that he's going to lose his position in leadership, decides, you know what? The best decision to make is to dispose of Jesus, is to just get rid of this insane lunatic. And from there... After Jesus continues to testify to the truth, as he continues to bear witness to the truth, when all of this goes on, Jesus then goes quietly to his execution. You know, in the uh, 1970s, there was this Indian guru uh, by the name of Bhagwan Rajneesh. Some of you might have heard of him. There was a documentary released, quite, quite famous. Now, this man, this guru, he had gained worldwide fame through his teachings and through his books. And somehow he had inspired hundreds of Westerners. And these hundreds of Westerners decided: you know what, we need to go see this Bhagwan Ragnish. And so they sold off their possessions, they gave up their jobs, and they all came to India to live with Bhagwan in this small compound. Bhagwan, he was this this mystic. He had combined uh, Western capitalism with this Eastern spirituality. He had fused these two things, and he spoke openly and freely of, of the human mind and the human body. And more and more followers came. They flooded into this small town in India. Soon, they outgrew the place that they were at, and they decided, you know what we need to do? We need to move our entire community to a larger place, and so they decided, we're gonna move to America. And so, Bhagwan, with the help of his secretary, they they buy this 60,000-acre ranch in Oregon, and they start a community. They all fly in, Bhagwan flies in, and they start building everything. From homes, to community centers, to stores, to banks, to farms, to irrigation system. I mean, you name it, they did it. And all of this was self-funded. The followers had given up everything. They were, most of them were very rich Westerners who felt empty, who were seeking meaning and purpose in life and community. And they had created what was from the outside, what seemed to be this perfect community, and they called it Rajneesh Puram. Yeah, on the outside, it looked great. It looked like it was a community of freedom and love, no one tied to possessions, there were no boundaries, no rules, and people were ready to give up their lives for each other. And no doubt, they were ready to give up their lives for the leaders of this community. From the outside, it looked great, but from the inside, things were very dirty, It was corruption. The the leaders were drugging the people. The whole community was wiretapped. They were illegally arranging marriages so that people in Europe could receive citizenship and live in this town in Oregon. Things got very, very difficult. The feds came in and the leaders were being charged. And that spirit of unity, that spirit of, you know, we are this ultimate community, That quickly started to change and the leaders of the community, they started looking after number one. The leaders abandoned the community. The guru abandoned the community. He got on a plane and he left. The secretary took a bunch of people, took the money and left. And the people were looking up into the sky, seeing the plane departing, wondering what is going on? Where is our leader going? You know, when things get difficult, when there's pressure, when people feel threatened, most of the time the name of the game is self-preservation. That's the name of the game. You see it in corporations, you see it in politics all the time. You probably have experienced it in your workplace. When things get difficult, when things get tight, who do people look out for? For themselves. It's all about self-preservation. You know, when the religious leaders during this time, when Pilate, the governor during this time, when they felt threatened, what were they doing? What was their aim? It was self-preservation. We see this clearly. You know, interesting, you know, one of the basic tenets of Judaism is this confession that Yahweh alone is God, that Yahweh alone is King. But when the Jewish rulers feel threatened that Jesus is creating this movement, what do they do? They look out for themselves. And all of that gets thrown out the window, right? What do they say? What do these chief priests say? We have no king but Caesar. They will say anything and do anything to save themselves, their careers, and anything that they have built up. I mean, consider Pilate. Pilate knows that Jesus is an innocent man. But when Pilate is provoked, saying, if you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. When they provoke him, what do they do? When they play to his ego. When they say, show us your allegiance, show us your cards. When Pilate feels threatened, he does what is convenient and what is best for him. But Jesus... Jesus, in this moment when he is tested, Jesus, in this moment when he is put on trial, he does not back down. Calmly and collectively, he bears witness to who he is and why he has come. His message does not change. You know, interestingly, while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything, Jesus stands up to his questioners, and denies nothing. I am who I said I am, and I have come into this world to give life. You know, if Jesus was truly not the Messiah, if Jesus was an imposter, this was the moment. This was the moment where he would have backed down. This was his chance, right? I I remember when I was a kid, I was sitting in uh, the nurse's office, because uh, I had this tummy ache. Now, I didn't really have a tummy ache, but I faked having a tummy ache because for some reason that day, I didn't want to stay in school, and I just wanted to go home. Okay? Don't judge me. Many of you guys have done that before, too. I... I'm pretty sure. So I faked a tummy ache. And, you know, the school's always, you know, being reserved and being conservative. You know, they take me to the nurse's office. They say, what's wrong? And, you know, just like, oh, I have a tummy ache, you know. And so the school, they call my mom. And my mom was working at the time. And she comes to school. You know, typical, you know, Asian tiger mom. She just walks in, doesn't even look at the nurse. And she looks at me and says, are you really sick? And it was that moment I knew, wait, something, she, she, she can smell that something's up. See, I, I reasoned in my mind at that time, I was, I was going like this, I realized that, you know what, if I continue to fake this, I can go home, but she's going to find out, and I'm going to get into some serious trouble. Now, I can tell you what serious trouble in our household was. But because this sermon is being recorded, I cannot, it's on the record, so I can't tell you exactly what serious trouble in our household meant. And I, at that time, I, re- I reasoned, you know what, I'm going to get caught, and I'm going to have to pay a cost. And then I just realized, you know what, it might be safer just to stay in school. So I look up at my mom, and I look at the nurse and I say, you know what, I think I can, I can stay in school, it'll be okay. She does my mom doesn't say a word, she just turns back and goes straight back to work. You know, as Jesus stood on trial, this was his moment of backing down. This was his moment to actually make a deal. You know, this was his moment to actually say to the high priest: hey guys, this was all just fun and games. I can't believe you believed me. You know what? I was just stirring the pot. He could have made some sort of deal. You know what? I have all of these followers. I can mesh it into yours, and we could, you know, just keep this excitement going, but I can give you all the power. You know, he even had Pilate's ear. Pilate was going back and forth to Jesus saying, Hey, come on, tell me, who are you? Who are you? He had Pilate's ear. He could have struck a deal. But Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't wilt under pressure he doesn't cower because he's put on trial he continues to testify to the truth he says i am who i said i am and i've come to give life you know another interesting thing about this this whole trial scene is that you know jesus is really king you know he's he is the king and you know we have to think you know jesus could at once, with a snap of his fingers, he could have put all of these people in submission. I mean, who do these rulers think they are? They're putting truth on trial. They're putting the judge of the world on the stand, and they're questioning him. I mean, just read through this passage and look at what they are doing. They, they, they slap Jesus across the face because he back-talked. Jesus is led in shackles before a man Whose reign over a small region lasted for 10 measly years. Jesus is in chains bowing before this puppet king whose life ended tragically in suicide. You know, Jesus, at the snap of his fingers, could have shown everyone gathered at Jerusalem during this festive time, during the Passover, he could have shown everyone at the snap of his fingers that he was the everlasting king. You know, one command of the angels one command, and legions of angels would have come down from heaven and they would have declared that Jesus was the king of judgment, that Jesus was the righteous ruler, and everyone at that moment would have bowed down to Jesus. He could have shown right then and there that he was the eternal king. But that was not his mission. His mission at that time was not to show everyone that he was king, but his mission at that time was to show everyone that he was the Passover lamb. Jesus' goal, the reason why he was sent from the, for, from the Father was to show that he was the one to be slaughtered so that all who believed in him would live just as death passed over the Israelites because of the blood on the doorposts during the Exodus, now through the sacrificial death of Jesus, all who looked to him would be saved. And this was Jesus' mission. This is why Jesus doesn't back down. This is why even knowing that his witness would lead to his death Jesus willingly and knowingly gets captured. He gets paraded around town. He goes to trial, and he is crucified. Jesus knows this. You know, while we, you know, when we think of Jesus, when we picture Jesus, yeah, sometimes we have this picture of a gentle Jesus welcoming children into his arms, A gentle Jesus where children just run freely to him. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, I'm not that old, but, you know, when children, when I see children who don't know me, and I don't think I'm that scary looking at all, but when I see children, I go, ah, children don't run to me, except for my kids, right? But, you know, how gentle must have Jesus been that children just come to him? While we have this picture of a really gentle Jesus where children just come to him, we also have a picture here in John 18 and 19 of a Jesus who is so, so determined. We have a picture, a portrait of a Jesus who doesn't flinch, who doesn't wilt under pressure, a Jesus who doesn't forfeit his mission when he is interrogated, when he is embarrassed, when he is humiliated. You know, when his own creation was condemning him to death, Jesus, he doesn't press the abort. He doesn't abort his mission. The name of Jesus' game is not self-preservation, but it's sacrifice. It's obedience. You know, this is one of the pictures of Jesus that I truly cherish. I remember when I first became a Christian and I started reading through this and seeing just the irony of this story. You know, Jesus' entire ministry, three years of ministry, has now crumbled. His disciples are leaving him. You know, Peter, his disciple, who said, you know, I will be with you, they, they, you oh. know, he denies him, and, and all of his disciples just scatter. Everything that he has done is just now, you know, falling apart. Just a few days ago, when he, when he entered into Jerusalem, the crowds were chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, and then very soon, just, just at the, the tables turned, and now they're all saying, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, he's the eternal son of God, the high priest, and there he is before these earthly high priests being questioned, being humiliated. But Jesus continues. He remains determined to go to the cross to complete the task that God has called him to do. You know, I think this passage speaks to us on a number of levels. I mean, if you were honest, how often have we, how often have you and I thought that, that God has given up on us? Right. I mean, if Jesus endured this for you, you know, why is it that when life gets difficult, our minds immediately think that Jesus has forsaken us? Why is it that when we sin, yeah, why is it that when we sin, we think that, you know what, Jesus might give up You know, Jesus is not that wishy-washy. He's not wishy-washy. Or to use more modern language, you know, Jesus is not a flaker. He doesn't flake on us. He doesn't say, yeah, I'll meet you at three, but shows up at 3.30. You know, he's not one of those guys that you run into in the coffee store, you know, once a month, and you say, oh, yeah, how you been? Yeah, you know, we need to catch up. You know, I, I just can't wait to get to know you more and never call back. Jesus is not a flaker. We find here in John 18 and 19 in this passage that Jesus, what he endured, what he endured for you and I, how determined he was to save us. You know, a friend recently remarked that he he had understood how much his mother loved him. He, He understood how much His mom was committed to the family. When when his family had fallen upon hard times, the family was struggling. And what the mom did was the mom, she went out and she picked up numerous jobs, jobs that were so beneath her. And the friend remarked that he saw how the mom was being treated at work, at these workplaces. But he said that she was enduring these things, that she did not flinch, And he said that was the moment he realized his mother's devotion for the family. That's what John 18 is, at least for me. John 18 is a picture of Jesus' unwavering determination for me and for you. You know, there are difficulties that we face here in this world. Yeah, there are certain hopes and dreams that don't go our way. There are unanswered prayers all the time. There are really disappointing results and unexpected illnesses. You know, we have to start questioning. We have to start thinking. Every time these things happen, every time we feel as though we are threatened, we feel like we're pressured, we feel like everything that we have, all of our hopes and dreams that we've built up, whenever we feel these things being threatened, we have to question why is it that we put Jesus on trial every single time and ask Jesus, Are you really who you say you are? You know, just like the high priests, you know, we put Jesus on trial. We put him on the stand and we question him all the time. What are you doing? Whenever we feel as though we feel threatened, out of self preservation, we look up to God and say, God, what are you doing? Why are you messing with our plans? John 18, 19 shows us a Jesus, a Christ, a Savior, a Lord who has bigger plans, who does not forsake us, a Christ who is determined, a Christ who endures. You know, the second thing that I just want to end with is this, you know, and pastoral from, to be a bit pastoral, you know, this, this passage, if you read through it very carefully, and I'm sure you'll study it in your small groups if you haven't already, but this passage oozes and it seeps with irony. Jesus is the king of the world. He is the creator of this world. He is the ruler of all things. And what does he do? In this passage, he is before an earthly appointed king. And this earthly appointed king dresses Jesus up as a king. They put a purple robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his brow. And they charge him that he is king. They are mocking Jesus as king. But be strengthened and encouraged this morning as we reflect on this picture. That this Christ, this mocked king, is our king. You know, the author brilliantly, you know, John, he weaves in uh, this really cool hint. You know, the, the, the name of the soldier uh, whose ear gets cut off in, Matthew, uh, in, in John 18, his name is Malchus. And that name, Malchus, means my king. You know, the reader of this gospel, you and I, as we read through this carefully, as we see this, as we see the name of this soldier whose ear was cut off, we ought to be reading this carefully. We ought to be reading this of how Jesus was mocked as a king. And we ought to end with the confession yes, Jesus is my king. And so this morning, The picture that we have before us, John 18 and 19, is a picture of a man who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, so that you and I would be forgiven, so that you and I could live. This is our king. He is our king. This mocked criminal is our king. He is my king. Is he yours? Join me in prayer this time.